I, I, I'm a bit kind of troubled by the idea of this being one of the people that they worship in this religion. Like, like the kind of hooded, terrifying figure is the one that you're like, oh yeah, definitely make some sacrifices there. Who keep him on side. <laughs> When she says you've got to go, he says, right, well, I'm having Solaris we're in the Kingsguard while I'm away. But Cersei wants Osmond Kettleblack. It's like somebody told her about the phrase, shoot yourself in the foot, but didn't tell her that it was supposed to be a bad thing. Hello there. Welcome, one and all, to part six of George R. R. Martin's A Feast for Crows, brought to you by Shark Liver Oil. I'm Matt. I'm Dave, hello. And... This chap this this time we've got four red hot chapters to get through. <laughs> Sizzling hot chapters. <laughs> um we're gonna be reading from a chapter about Sam in Bravos. Um as far as well, the, the last chapter we're reading today is called The Reaver. The, the Reaver. Reaver. Yeah. Is this another um, Jura Mormon doesn't make a return in this one, does he? Just, just for the sheer joy of saying the word that way. <laughs> no, afraid not. Khaleesi, um, so- <laughs> the Reaver. Sorry, carry on. <laughs> yeah, so we're stopping at the chapter where you get to Jamie, the fields outside the walls of Darry. That's where we're not reading. That, that's where we're reading as far as today. Yeah. So, the chapter about Sam. Sam is standing by the window looking nervous. As he is, you know, he will do that, Sam, won't he? Um, <laughs> he will do a bit of nervousness. That's, there will that's, be nervousness. That's in his wheelhouse, I'm going to say. Yeah. Um, so they've reached Bravos, him and, um, and Gilly and Darian and uh, who's the other guy? Oh, Maester Eamon. Because mm. they're on the way to Old Town, aren't they? And um, from the Night's Watch. Yeah. Uh, and it turns out that it seems that Daron, who's the, the singer, um Sam's kind of relying on him because he's the most streetwise out of all of them, which isn't saying much. And he's being pretty much useless, isn't he? <laughs> I love how rubbish he is as well. Just like just like how multiplex crap this character is. He ter- Literally, the first port he turns up in, where people talk a bit differently to him, it turns out that he wasn't sent to the wall because of his general trustworthiness. Instead, <laughs> yeah. just shagging his out- way across Bravos. <laughs> Yeah, he's just arrived in Bravos and thought, you know what, I much prefer this line of work to the uh, the old Black Brothers stuff. So I think I'll just, I think I'll just stay here. I'll just do this. <laughs> Post everyone else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, things are worse for Sam because uh, Maester Raymond has taken a, a serious turn for the worse. The voyage has nearly killed him. Yeah. Um, he's now uh, sort of bedridden and sort of he, Sam's paid a large chunk of what money they had on a healer who said there's nothing I can do is is a, is a goner. Bloody so. hell. I mean, like, just as a little insight into what passes for decent medical care in societies like this. Because, I mean, I think this used to happen quite a lot back in the day. Like, doctors were paid an enormous amount of money and they would often go, oh, dearie me, no, he's not long for this world. Anyway, that'll be a tenner. Yeah. <laughs> that, that'll be that'll be one-fifth of the money you earn for the rest of your life. Thanks very much. Bye. Yeah, yeah, they really um, should insist on a sort of payments by results method to people being treated here. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, as if Sam's not aware of his basic rights as a consumer. It's, uh... <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so there's this, Eamon's heard this rumour of dragons. Darren at least has come back every so often with rumours from the sort of taverns and stuff. One of them's about these dragons and Eamon wants to find out more. Mm. But um, basically Sam's trying to convince Eamon to 
you know, like we've got to board a ship and get to World Ten, and Eamon's saying, "Look, I'm I'm pretty much done." He actually says, um, "The stranger waits outside my door, and he will not be denied," Oof. which was, I thought, quite a creepy, yeah. creepy thing. That's pretty say. cold, right? Hmm. Yeah, I love that idea of sort of a hooded figure waiting to take you yeah. off, just standing outside the door, saying, "Right." The time's time, God. <laughs> <You know. laughs> and I, I, I'm a bit kind of troubled by the idea of this being one of the people that they worship in this religion. Like, like the kind of hooded, yeah. terrifying figure is the one that you're like, oh yeah, definitely make some sacrifices there. Who keep him on side? <laughs> well, the funny thing is with the seven, he's always the stranger is always described as the one that no one really likes to worship. They sort of <laughs> whenever there's like a, a, seven shrines. Yeah. Like all the young, all the sort of boys go to the warrior to pray to him. Mm. Sort of um, all that the older men go to the the wise ones, go to like the smith or someone like that. Um, and yeah, maybe a lot of people like the mother as well. Mm. But the stranger doesn't get a lot of love because <laughs> he's just basically dead. <laughs> <laughs> With one exception, mm. which is uh, the house of black and white. <laughs> black and white. <laughs> Well, they, they love a bit of death, they, don't they? That's they what they're all about, the death. death. They do. But if anything, they would say mm. that the stranger doesn't go far enough in being death. Because mm. it should be fine, he's death, but we need to acknowledge that every other god is basically death as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, so Sam goes out into the town to look for Darian, and he bumps into these bravos, um, who are the sort of the noblemen in, um, in Bravos. And they sort of... They are dressed in these outrageously <laughs> colourful outfits with like the swords, and they're really good fighters. But they're always spoiling for a, you know, they, they seem they seem just massive wankers, don't they? And, and they do, bullies. don't they? My word, it's as if he's he's summed up like douche bro into a pair of medieval like tights. <laughs> I just think that's just completely glorious. And I I particularly like the idea of people getting really really ornately kind of fancy and dressed up and and you know let, let's not let's not move away from the word fabulous here because they do <laughs> seem rather fabulous and and then going out and looking for a fight about it and there's something in that that i i quite like <laughs> the comedy yeah. alone yeah yeah that's true um and so the, these two guys these two bravos turn up and they're looking for a they're basically looking to to just bully Sam, and in the yeah. end, um, this girl who uh, I assume is Arya just sort of yeah. turns up and sort of sends him on the way. She really stands up for Sam for no other reason as she. I think she just sees this poor fat guy getting bullied and thinks it's a bit harsh, and she doesn't like the Bravos yeah. anyway. It was a great, yeah. it's a great moment for Arya, isn't it? it? It is. It's lovely seeing, and I think I get the sense that quite a lot of time is supposed to have passed mm. between between when we saw her leave the House of Black and White and this, because she seems to be deeply into this identity of Cat of the Canals now, right? Mm, yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I really I, I really like this a lot, because complete sucker for storylines coming together and affecting one another. Mm. And like we were saying last time, there's an enormous amount of not that, in particularly in A Feast for Crows. Yeah. So I'm a bit sort of, I'm really quite happy that it's that this this kind of came together in this way. I love it when a plan comes together, Matt. Yeah. Yeah, and it shows just a bit of the sort of the nice side of Arya still there as well. You know, the yeah, good part as well as Yeah, as well as the creepy apprentice assassin stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Sam goes into this uh, brothel and finds mm. Darian. 
um, they have this argument because Darius basically says, you know, I'm done with the Night's Watch. I'm staying here and, you know, going to sleep my way, as, as you say, sleep my way around um, the Seven Kingdoms mm. and beyond. And uh, and Sam gets so angry, he actually ends up in a fight. Love it. Love it. I love that this is what sends him over the edge. Like, <laughs> listen, you fucking knob. You've got all the money and all the skill and you're lying there on a bed surrounded by f- fucking, I'm going to... And he just sort of blacks out and then he's cracked him on the jaw. And I, I nearly cheered, yeah. literally cheered aloud. when. It yeah, happened. it is. It is a real cheer moment, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. um, this guy is being just so spectacularly selfish when you've got Eamon dying in a bed around the corner. And he says, oh, I'm going out to get some firewood. And he just doesn't come back. He goes one to a brothel. And, and when he comes and finds him, he lies there going, mm. it's fine, you can have one of these as well. Oh, well, if you're going to be so boring as to try and remind me that an elderly man is dying because I'm so selfish, I just want to shag a prostitute. I'm afraid I can't <laughs> do anything for you. <laughs> yeah, so there's this fight and Sam ends up getting dragged out of the brothel and thrown into the canal and he very nearly drowns because he can't yeah. swim very well and um, at one minute, moment he sort of tries to swim to the surface and realises he's swimming to the bottom of the canal and he thinks, shit, yeah. this is it and then this, and then he gets dragged from the canal by this massive Summer Islander Yeah, um, I think Summer Islands are sort of, it's kind of a it's kind of a cross between Africa and sort of the Pacific, yeah, yeah. isn't it? It's sort of it's basically Africa as islands, oh, I think, from what I can yeah, tell. Yeah. But anyway, this ma- yeah, I think so. Basically, this massive sort of summer islander pulls him out of the canal, and um, uh, it was just for, it seems from no more than the fact it's just an act of genuine kindness yeah. that. Um, but he also says um, he heard about you know Sam was going on about these dragons, and he's he says Zando is his name. Zando knows these dragons. You think, <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what you think, isn't it? You think, shit, plot's about to kick off. Come on, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but that's where we leave it with Sam, and uh, we scoot off back to King's Landing with Jamie. Uh, Jamie is in a room with Cersei, basically just getting insulted. Which is, this is all that seems to happen whenever you put these two characters in a room at the moment. Uh, Cersei just yeah. hurls insults at Jamie. Um, yeah. It turns out she's sending him off to the Riverlands to bring some order to the Riverlands because it's still the war's mm. still sort of dragging on over there. Um, you've still got River Run under siege. Apparently, the Blackfish is there now, and he's holding out. Uh, you've got. Uh, Harren Hall, which was under the command of the mountain, but since he left, seems to have just turned into this black hole. No one really knows what's happened up there, so he's got to go and sort that yeah. out as well. Um, yeah. And there's this argument that Jamie just basically takes it when um, when Cersei's having a go at him. Apart from when she says you got to go, he says, "Right, well, I'm having Soloris as the uh, as running the King's Guard while I'm away." But Cersei wants yeah. Osmond Kettleblack. <laughs> Oh, for fuck's sake. I know, again, Cersei, isn't it? Jeez. Yeah. Like, it's like somebody told her about the phrase, shoot yourself in the foot, but didn't tell her that it was supposed to be a bad thing. It's as if she's... That's not a bad idea, that, actually. <laughs> I'll probably... Yeah, just slice up right in my big toe there and just blow it into little bloody chunks. 
Sounds like a good idea. Yeah. Osmond Kettleblatt. And you couldn't have picked a more, like a, a better name to use to wind up Jamie as well, because it's still going around in his head what Tyrion said, you know, she's she's been screwing yeah. everybody. Osmond Kettleblatt, Moonboy, for all I know. Um, <laughs> speaking of Moonboy, actually, there's a bit here. Is it here? I think it is. Oh, it's, it's the next chapter with Cersei. But um, she's been naming all those new ships that, um, that she's building. And she yeah. she allowed Tommen to name the last few, and he's named him just all after all the like people he likes, and um, she, one of them was going to be Moon Boy. Which <laughs> 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 is great, <laughs> glorious. I, I don't know about you, I much prefer eight year old Tommen in the books to sixteen <laughs> year old Tommen in the TV series. Because in the TV series, it's just like, oh, you're not long for this world. Hmm. Whereas in the book, it's like. You're incredible. You're you're entirely adorable. You are totes adorbs. <laughs> yeah. What are you doing in a Game of Thrones? Yeah, I mean you can't you can't not like a child who's got a, a kitten who's named Sir Pounds. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The only way that could be better is if he'd been a little bit older and decided to call him Sir Badass. <laughs> yeah, Sir Badass the cat. <laughs> Sir Badass the cat. I might do that anyway. Uh, when I get a cut. Brilliant. Let's call him Sir Brilliant. Balance. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, there's definitely something to be said for Game of Thrones mashup names for all your pets from now on. <laughs> Sir Badass of Worcestershire is going to be. Sir Badass of Worcestershire. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, um, back with Jamie, though. So he is. Um, so he's leaving. Uh, mm. And he. When the Lannisters, like this sort of Lannister contingent it's not a massive army but it's big enough leaves the city there are a few people out in the streets just sort of looking at them sullenly um and he remembers that when mace tyrell left a few weeks ago um to go and lay siege to storm's end there was this massive sort of almost festival in the streets like waving him off and cheering and he just yeah. it, again it just brings home just how unpopular the lannisters are as compared to the tyrells who, yeah. unsurprisingly, the Tyrells have been basically supplying all the food, so you got to yeah. be like, don't you? Yeah, absolutely, but the Tyrells are also displaying why I think they're likely to win, you know, if this power struggle eventually reaches a conclusion, which it might not do, because um, as we've seen, George loves abandoning a plotline, yeah. um, but if it does come to a conclusion, it will be the Tyrells who win, because they understand politics and diplomacy, they understand mm. how to image is what they understand. Yeah, you're right. Whereas yeah, yeah. the Lannisters don't give a tuppenny fuck about little people. They've been so powerful for so long that the very idea to Cersei that, uh, you know, somebody who isn't a lord and isn't threatening her in some way could be even worth, you know, wiping the shit off her shoe on. Mm. She just wouldn't think of it. Mm. And mm, big difference. That's going to be the difference, I tell you. Yeah, that's true. Because so you've got like Marjorie wanders through the streets giving money to the poor and she's doing a similar thing with Tommen now, isn't she? And yeah, you're right. They, yeah. They've got the PR battle won, haven't they? In terms Absolutely. of what people think. Yeah. yeah, and the funny thing is that it's not really very difficult to win that war when you're playing against Cersei, is it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, your task for today is to come off as more sympathetic than Cersei Baratheon. Yeah. <clears throat> do you know what? I reckon I can do that. Yeah. Might have it done before before tea. <laughs> yeah, the Lannisters' words are hear me roar, but they could easily just be no one likes us, we don't care, couldn't they? <laughs> <laughs> House Lannister, fuck the fucking lot of you. <laughs> yeah. House Lannister, no one likes us, we don't care. 
and then the extended version because we've got all the gold because <laughs> we've got all the gold <laughs> that should be they should have um or whatever the Westerosi version of the Latin language is, they should have that on the uh, on the on the crest. <laughs> we've got all the gold. <laughs> you, we've got all the gold. Although not anymore, it turns out because the uh, apparently the um... oh, actually I think this I, I may be getting confused here. In this series, there's a moment where Tywin Lannister says, "I don't know if you've seen this in the book. I can't quite remember, but definitely in the series, there's a moment where we probably haven't seen it in the book. If we haven't seen it in the book yet, we're not going to see it because Tywin's." Dead, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dead, yeah. But he, but he says at some point that the um, the mines where they they have historically got all this gold from have been running dry for the last few years, um, and that Ooh. you know it's kind of the, it's only the image that they're rich that is keeping them going at, at the moment now, and that's probably yeah. even more so than the idiot moves of some of his kids. That's probably the more yeah. sort of terminal um, affliction for the House Lannister, isn't it? Very much, and you can almost hear Tywin rolling over in his grave. Given given that truth, mm. him rolling over his grave to see Cersei be like, "Who's going to be master of coin? Can he add up?" No, brilliant. He's the man for the job. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it just it, um, something on on that matter. Uh, Jamie says that apparently Adam Maraband, who's uh, has been the captain of the Gold Cloaks, and he's he's leaving with Jamie now because he's a close sort of old friend. It's said that yeah. the word on the street sort of in Flea Bottom. Is that the uh, the common folk are calling sort of Cersei's council, which is normally the small council, the smallest council, just because how <laughs> rubbish they are. Uh, Gold. Yeah. Uh, so they're off uh, on this campaign. Uh, Jamie uh, heads up. He's. I thought it was quite nice here where Jamie's sending out scouts all the time and he's posting sentries at every camp, no matter how safe it feels. Because he's yeah. learnt from the last campaign, where he just basically got hammered by Rob Stark at every turn. Yeah, um, yeah. And it's, I thought that was good because it shows a good, you know, a good commander and a good sort of politician learns from his yeah. mistakes, and he, he at least yeah, he's done yeah, that. very much. Yeah, 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 very much. And it's particularly important in Westeros, where a single mistake will get you killed. Mm. If you're going to stay alive, you've got to be lucky. But then to stay alive again and again and again, you've got to be lucky and smart. Mm. And uh, and that's what Jamie's being here, I think. Yeah. So uh, he heads off. There's this. Oh, he's bringing um, Illan Payne along, and it turns out as as we go through this that he's he's bringing the 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 mute headsman along with him because he needs someone to train with because he's crap. He's crap with his with fighting with his wrong hand. And uh, yeah. if you want someone who's going to be able to keep a secret, someone who doesn't have a tongue, he's quite talk. good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Nice little return for Ill in Pain. It, it is. I mean, I, I don't know about you, I haven't really been hurting for the lack of Ill in Pain because he's a nasty piece of work. Mm. Um, but, I mean, I was wondering, before we got to the duel scene in this chapter, I was sort of wondering why the hell of all the people in King's Landing, Jamie was like, Ill in Pain, yeah, nice bloke, yeah, yeah, let's have him. Mm. So they, they they head off, and one of the places they stop along the way is um, this sort of small castle run by this guy called Sir Roger Hogg. I was quite like this moment because it just shows there are these lesser lords who are just sort of running their own place and yeah. as much as possible trying to keep out of trouble. And he yeah. he's sort of on the borders of the Riverlands, but sort of in the sort of on the Lannister side. Um, so he's one of the Lannister some one of the Lannister castles but next to the Riverlands. And he says um mm. that he's had 
uh, Walt like Northmen come along uh, a while back with sons on their uh, on the shield. So basically, Car Stark's looking for Jamie, and he sent them on the way. But he's also had when Amory Locke was knocking about, who'd been sent to sort of cause trouble in the Riverlands. He came over and tried sort of <laughs> to, to try to uh, it didn't storm the walls, but like was acting threateningly. And it was like, yeah. A, I'm not in the Riverlands. I'm one of your guys. B, will you just bugger off and leave me alone? <laughs> <laughs> you've done a you've done a number of things here, which, while recognizing my fealty to your family, are pretty fucking stupid. <laughs> Starting at the top, yeah. So there's that. Uh, when Jamie finally gets to Harrenhal, um, he finds. I mean, it's a sorry garrison, isn't it? It's the guys who basically run with the hound are pretty vicious anyway. Um, but they're pretty much all that's left. Um, and then there are a few northern prisoners uh, down in the in the dungeons who have somehow survived. It turns out yeah. survived partly from being fed the various roast body parts of Vargo Hote, oh. the old commander of the Bloody Mummers. Um, yeah. The when the mountain killed him piece by piece, he said, uh, "Feed the prisoners roast goat," and that's that was the goat. There's this. They bring. They bring. Uh, the, they bring. I mean, Vargo Hope was a horrible piece of work. But I mean, they bring his his rotted head over, and he's had his ears, nose, and lips cut off. So the the mountain really did sort of take his time torturing this guy. Yeah. Well, I mean, at the point where you're at the mercy of the mountain, you know things aren't going to go well. Yeah. Um. Although, yeah, this is another example of George Martin just really reveling in the kind of gory, unpleasant details of. How how a different characters can die? Yeah, you know. Yeah, uh, they're sending Willis Manderley, who is uh, the fat prisoner they've got down the dungeons, who's been eating a lot of Vargo Hope, um, probably unknowingly. Uh, they're sending him home yeah. as sort of fulfilling the terms of that agreement, which has ended up with Davis's head on a spike. Um, so he's the price that uh, that they've paid for that. And this guy yeah. called Sir Bonifer is taking over Harren Hall, along with his mm. Holy Hundred. Uh, this is a a it's sort of is a Lannister man, but he's like a almost a not quite as religiously fanatic as say the Sparrows, but a very yeah. very devout guy, and um and he's got these sort of it's actually only about eighty five eighty six after they lost a few at the Blackwater, but this sort of elite force of um very pious knights who serve him, and they're the guys who yeah. are going to try and hold Harrenhal. I do quite like the idea of Harren Hall being handed over to people who are kind of like, I'm a badass, I fear no evil. I just kind of want to see how that goes down. Mm. Do you know what I mean? If they if they banish the curse yeah. through sheer force of morality or if they just get eaten alive by it like everybody else. Yeah, well, there's quite an interesting um, sort of conflict in that area now sort of a classic insurgence against um against an occupying force where you've got sir bonifer at harrenhal and he says you know i've got lancel lannister over at duskendale and randall tarley at maidenpool not far away so between us we'll bring these outlaws to justice and it's basically sort of yeah um this disparate um force of uh you know uh I don't know, guerrilla force just attacking people when they're showing we- uh, attacking the occupying force when they show any weakness and yeah. the these three big armies trying to sort of bring the region under control. 
And that was quite um, interesting. Mm. I mean, and for all yeah. we hate Randall Tarley, if you're Sabonifer, he's probably the kind of guy you do want just down the road who can come and fuck shit up if you need it. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's true. For Sabonifer, it's definitely a good thing. But I'll tell you what, I, I, I was thinking about this, and I hadn't, I hadn't reflected very much on how good a move this is by George having this, having this war turn into like uh, roving bands of like you say this insurgency idea because mm. I think that's what happens almost everywhere where you have this breakdown of order mm. um, which pays you know where where the little people don't have any attention paid to them mm. is that these kind of you know the, the structures of who controls like power and violence kind of break down and then they end up you know, you end up with these kind of irregulars or these people who are like, kind of, well, I'm not a lord, but I'm going to do better by you than your lord did. So how about you put up with me around? And everybody says, yeah, great. Mm. Um, and I think that's quite telling. Yeah, definitely. Um, and there's plenty more sort of to come with that, you imagine, in this area. Uh, and and the final part of, of Jamie's chapter is he goes down to the bear pit, you know, where um, he saved Brienne's life back in the oh, yeah. days of the bear in the Maiden Fair. And um, yeah. There's this guy, Red Ronick Connington, down there, who is one of the people who had been betrothed to Brienne at some point in the past. And he makes mm. a couple of sort of quips about it um, and how ridiculous it was that he was even going to marry someone so ugly. And Jamie punches him. And it's just interesting, just as far as a, a reminder of just how Jamie's sort of attitude towards Brienne has changed. Because, you know, before yeah. they went on that sort of odd couple journey back to King's Landing yeah. he'd have been the first to join in with that kind of stuff wouldn't he but he's very different yeah. now yeah he is very much I, I mean I think this is all part of the journey that he's on right where he is a horrendous human being hmm. but who has who is increasingly lamenting the lack of actual honour and kind of like goodness in his life basically hmm. um, and then and and you know Brienne to him is is a symbol of all of that, which is why he gave her a sword called Oathkeeper, which is of course everything he's not. Mm. So you know I think that's quite that's quite a powerful thing. Yeah, it's just this little scene. Yeah, absolutely hauling off and twatting in one. I thought it was great. Yeah, but. yeah, it's good. Uh, we move on to Cersei. Cersei's on her way through the streets of King Land, King's Landing to visit the new High Septon, who's been installed. Um, mm. as she's, while she's on the way, she's still looking for dirt on Marjorie. She's chatting to um, to this lady. What's she called? Um, Merryweather. Um, trying to find out any dirt she can on Marjorie, but she's struggling a bit. She seems a bit too goody two shoes. Um, the 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 problem that they have here is she. she She's in this litter, sort of being taken through the uh, through the town, but then they have to stop because they can't get to the sept because there are so many of these um, sparrows, you know, these um, poor uh, religious fanatics camped outside the the sept. It's uh, it's like a sea of tents. It it sounded a bit like a medieval version of like Occupy Wall Street. There's just like loads <laughs> of people, <laughs> loads of commoners. Yeah, there, you know. It's surprisingly powerful, isn't it? Yeah. The sight of this. I mean, we uh, it's been done in the TV series and it's done in a montage as a very kind of threatening, whoa, violence that nobody can control kind of piece. Yeah. But I actually think it's really interesting to see somebody who's not scared yeah. of this of this power. Somebody who's just like, well, what did you do for me recently? On the other hand, I believe in my gods and I've got a big stick. So what are you going to do? Yeah. Yeah. Very powerful. And the fact that it, you get a real, a much more of a sense in the book that this is a large 
uh, at least a you know f- fairly large popular uprising. It isn't just sort yeah. of you know twenty fanatics going around breaking a load of ale bar- barrels and shutting down brothels. It's uh, you know it's, it's hundreds of people are, are involved in this. Um, yeah. Speaking of showing no fear, Cersei sees them not as a threat at all but just as a complete annoyance and she says right I'm getting out and walking through them she gets yeah. halfway through she sees that there are all these bones piled up around the uh, statue of Bela and she thinks it's a disgrace and then she hears that um, it's actually the bones of people who've been like holy people who've been killed uh, during the war um, She gets they get surrounded it's her and basically two members of the Kingsguard walking through this sea of sparrows which is quite a dangerous thing to do and she doesn't seem to be bothered at all um yeah but she is aware of the threat much more so than her guards when um things start getting there's this conversation and things start getting a bit you know you feel like it's getting tense and there are people standing around with weapons and Merrin yeah. Trant, one of the king's guard, goes for his sword, and Cersei stops him because she at least can see that they're all going to get killed here. Because only three of them, and no matter how well armored they are, um, it's, it's basically a mob surrounding them. And she's seen what happened in King's Landing when the mob attacked yeah. with Joffrey back in the day. And yet, she's so insanely wedded to her sense of self-importance mm. that she doesn't think that. She doesn't have a moment where she's like, oh, well, I mean, shit nearly went south last time I did this. Yeah. Maybe, I'll, maybe I'll not conduct myself in an abominably arrogant manner. Yeah. Ah, no, fuck it. Send out my armed men. Nothing can go wrong. <laughs> I think it's, again, it's just this, there's never any sense of forward planning with Cersei, is it? She just deals with things as they happen. And here, there is a load of sort of people to walk through, so fine, I'll just walk through them. And suddenly she's surrounded and it's getting a bit dangerous and she very quickly thinks, right, can we cut our way through? Probably not. Best not do that. Let's just talk our way through. She can sort of deal with things one at a time. She just can't. Stra- she just doesn't do a strategy, does she? She doesn't think a step yeah. ahead. Um, yeah, and you would think that somebody like that would have the life expectancy of a leaf in an incinerator. Mm-hmm. But somehow she's still alive, <laughs> running the country. <laughs> yeah, um, they make it into the sept, finally. And uh, the old sort of people just below the high septon who always used to welcome her in so the guys who weren't the, didn't have the top job but had the sort of tier beneath um yeah one of them's ended up just scrubbing the floor now and it's mm. this sense of a complete revolution in the church and that all yeah. the old sort of hierarchy has been blown away by this popular uprising and now yeah. it's just i mean the new high septon is just this sort of normal bloke who's also scrubbing the floors um in yeah. bare feet and yeah. um he yeah he isn't exactly particularly deferential to Cersei either you know he yeah. he actually even mentions the execution of Ned Stark as a sort of something yeah. that defiled the sept uh, like yeah. sort of accusatory at Cersei um yeah. it doesn't look like it's going to go well this relationship does it no it doesn't and and i'm kind of I mean, I've the the TV series handled this a bit differently, so I kind of already know what tone the TV t- series is taking with these guys, and it does turn them into basically like unhinged suicide bombers almost. Um, but in the books at this point, I still have a vague hope. I'm like, fucking yeah, speak truth to power, put the boot in. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, I kind of I was quite enjoying that. Yeah, um, just because somebody badly needs to look Cersei Lannister in the face and be like, you're a knob. Mm. 
and nobody's doing that right now. Well, Cersei wants um, the new High Septon to bless Tommen to sort of because this is always a, a useful way of um, giving a bit more legitimacy to the king if he's getting yeah. the support of the High Septon and, and then by extension, you know, the gods. Um, yeah. But this new High Septon says he won't do it because there are um, like there are whole as, as you see with the bones by the statue there are holy people being killed in the king's realm and no one seems to be doing anything about it and Cersei's um, solution is to let the holy people look after themselves basically and and arms them and brings back this this sect called the Faith Militant which is yeah. um, basically sort of it's basically you've, you've got these sparrows who are already quite looking on the verge of being violent now you're saying right you know um, if you want to get some recruit some lords and stuff who want to be particularly religious, they can join you and carry weapons and just defend the faith. Um, yeah, risky move. Uh, and also the, the sort of <laughs> yeah, and the response to that sort of she's getting something in return, which is the write off the debt that the uh, crown owes to the to the faith. Yeah, so that's sort of a bit of a quid pro quo. But um, it feels like you're opening the sort of Pandora's box a bit here. Yeah, it's a little bit like saying, I will release this like herd of cats on the city and I presume they're only going to shit in the places I tell them to shit. Like, there's just, she can have no sane exp- expectation that she has control over what's going to happen next. Like, she's negotiating with a guy who is the only person in the entire city who's showing her cheeky disrespect. And her response to that is to be like, far, far from being like, I see a plot, a plot. <laughs> far from doing Which that. Which is her specialism. She, goes, she, she always sees plots. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So how is it the only person that actually speaks bluntly to her face is the person she goes, you, you will be my minister of poorly controlled guerrilla warfare. Go, go. <laughs> no, no. Um, yeah, well, one of the reasons she thinks um, these will help be sort of the, the faith militant will be more of a blessing than a curse for her is that she thinks she says you know Tommen is um the defender of the uh the seven and um wants you to be safe and compare that to Stannis who obviously his big thing is the red god and the red woman so it's almost this she's relying on this clash of two religions to give her sort of the Lannisters and the and the king prophet here um, yeah. basically saying the enemy of my enemy is my friend, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's the that's the plan anyway. Um, and she's very pleased with it. She's like, if if Dad could see me now, you know, I've I've written off the debt and I've got myself an army, you know, it's it's all going swimmingly. And, yeah, and and to be honest with you, the hubris of that makes me quite happy because surely it means that fairly soon I'm going to see the uh, the beginning of the fall of Cersei, and that will make me quite happy. <laughs> Um, the only the other bit to, uh, to 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 say at the end of this chapter is uh, there's this she, she sees Marcella in the uh, not Marcella um, Marjorie in the crowd as she's making her way back to the palace. Marjorie's doing her PR work again, and she's got Soloris with her, and uh, Lady Merriweather says, you know, Soloris. Oh, uh, Marjorie says, oh, you know, Soloris comes everywhere with me. Um, that's why I always feel safe. And when mm. Cersei's on her way back to the palace, she's thinking, "Yeah, I remember when." That's how I felt when Jamie was around. And then she's thinking, <laughs> mm, "By extension, I remember what else we got up to." 
Hmm, maybe there's a maybe there's a rumor brewing here, <laughs> which I could use to my advantage. Yeah, I, I hope that she is just saying it for rumor's sake, rather than thinking that. Well, that's what I used to say about my brother, and I was shagging my brother. <laughs> so I presume everybody who says that must be shagging their brothers. <laughs> yeah, that might be it actually. Yeah. <laughs> Like, which is so she's either here being politically canny or unbelievably stupid and insane, both of which we've seen in her. So yeah. who can say? Every chance of both. Um, the next chapter is called. It's another midlog. Drumroll, please, please welcome onto the seas, the Reaver. <laughs> Not to be confused with the Weaver who just sits there. Making <laughs> that would be that stuff. would be far more chilled out, wouldn't it? <laughs> if this had been the Weaver. <laughs> Victorian looked up, looked at the sea, and thought, "By Jingo, I'm happy I don't sail around on that anymore, killing and raping as I please." <laughs> yeah. And he looked back down towards his work and carefully pulled the straw over the other straw, <laughs> weaving. Yeah, I've quite enough to contend with with my new basket I'm making. <laughs> 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 anyway, no, that isn't the Weaver, it's the Reaver. Uh, so, Reaver. Victorian is obviously, as we saw before on um, on the Iron Islands, the uh, younger son of uh, Euron, who's become the king of the Iron Islands. And he's, I mean, this guy, I mean, he's not so great at diplomacy. He's not the brightest bulb on the tree, if we're honest. But, um, oh my goodness, can he fight? He's pretty much like a one man tank, isn't he? Um, I mean, ridiculous. we're introduced to him leaping onto an enemy ship surrounded by, like, enemies. And they all go, look, he's on his own. And he just goes, come, kill me if you can. And then <laughs> just, just sets about just absolutely causing carnage. <laughs> Mental. <laughs> <laughs> I I quite like I quite like the bit where in the middle of the in the middle of the battle on board ship fighting chaos all around plate armor the rest of it he sees the guy that he wants to kill and goes you <laughs> yeah. your name and the guy takes his helmet off and goes I am such and such I am sir whoever it is <laughs> and he comes this close to saying lovely to meet you yeah <laughs> it's just of all the places not to observe the niceties. Yeah, I would have thought, you know. Yeah, this guy's called. Um, I think he's called. Is it Talbot Seri? So, so Talbot Seri is basically a, like a, a younger son of uh, of one of the major Tyrell lords, and yeah, yeah they, they they sort of end up meeting on the ship and uh, having this sword fight, which it's a pretty good fight actually, and it very nearly gets killed. It's only the fact that he sort of catches. Um, he catches the guy's sword in his in his mailed fist and sort of throws it into the sea and then yeah. sort of throws the, the lord in over after it as well. But uh, it, obviously some yeah. grievous wound. Can you imagine sort of just grabbing a sword? And it's, it's, it's already yeah. here. It's a, it's, it's, no, it's, he says it's Castleforge steel as well, so it's a bloody sharp one as well. And just yeah. sort of squeezing it. And again, it just shows the sort of the power of this of this guy doesn't it it does yeah really really impressive battle wise mm. it's funny because he i mean every, all the way through this chapter you see how he's very simple um victorian isn't he and he sees things in black and white very easily and um he knows what he knows similar to tali i suppose and there's this bit where mm. uh, when he looks at a lot of these sailors the Tyrell sailors he um he has no respect for them because they're all wearing sort of very light armor because obviously they're on a boat and they don't want if they fall in the sea they're on a drone but um this 
this sort of captain or the, this lord who he kills is wearing full armor and he re- respects him a bit more for that. Um, yeah. I he did something really stupid and it led almost directly to his horrible death by drowning. Respect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hashtag respect. <laughs> Hashtag YOLO. <laughs> Hashtag I made sure of it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, I mean, this turns into a massive victory for the uh, for the fleet, for the Ironborn fleet here. Um, the, it turns out, as, as the sort of as the camera, if you like, zooms out from the victory on this one ship, it shows you, you can see the sort of you can imagine the rest of the these ships which have sailed along Ironborn ships, which have basically routed the um, yeah. the Tyrell fleet or the um, yeah. I think it was the final tally eventually gets mentioned, and it's sort of Victorians lost six ships and the Tyrells have lost thirty eight, so it's a massive win. Um, yeah. It's quite interesting how this plan's worked because they've basically sailed down from the Iron Islands to um, the mouth of this river. I think it's called the Manda, which you can go all the way up and um, you can sort of create carnage all the way up that river and raid a load of the sort of rich, um, prosperous lands of the Tyrells if you can get into it. But the way that they protect that river, the Tyrells, is they've got these four little islands at the end of it called the Shields. and. If whenever like the Ironborn raiding parties turn up, which you know they tend to do, um, the the sort of the shields respond and send out their their ships and sort of chase them off. But this time yeah. they've done a bit of a bait and switch. He sent a few raiders up the river, so drawn out most of the navy, and then he sent the rest of his force in to mop up whilst they're away. So um, it's a big win. It's as if they're good at this or something. It's yeah. as if, I, I honestly, I've been previously writing off these people as like like meatheads drowning in their own malevolence. Yeah. But it turns out they are, but they've also got a certain amount of, you know, skill. Yeah. Props, I suppose. They're very much the experts of sort of, of, of seaborne warfare, aren't they? As, as far yeah, as we've seen, much, this yeah. is the first real example we've got of it. In the wider sort of politics of the Iron Islands now, so Euron's the king, and um, do you remember Aaron, the, uh, the guy who likes a dip in the sea in the freezing cold? <laughs> 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 who derives religious ecstasy from a dip in the sea in the cold. Yeah, he's not happy. Um, and he's just sort of wandering around causing trouble back at, on the Iron Islands now. Um, and yeah. and Asher, uh, Theon's sister, who also made a claim for the throne, she's fled. So the Ironborn have taken over the shields. It turns turns out that they've actually, they're actually selling a few of the people who live on there into captivity. They're starting to trade in yeah. slaves now, which is yeah. they've never done before. Yeah. But uh, Euron thinks it's a, a chance to turn a tidy profit, so he's starting to do that. Yeah, yeah. but Euron definitely seems a little bit unhinged, doesn't he, during this? He's not just Ooh, yeah. sort of a, a rational bastard. Hmm. He's really gone off the deep end in some fairly serious ways. And not the least of which is finding basically the only guttering spark of human warmth that existed amongst the ironborn and extinguishing it because they used to have thralls right rather than slaves yeah. like that you know their kids weren't slaves and they were basically slaves with i mean with slightly fewer detriments yeah um but it was it was a standard it was a moral thing that they were like no we're not going to be as harsh as we could be here and then euron's like oh, what shall i change well that obviously uh, far too nice is what we've been in the past. Yeah. Like, 
Oh, it's like a it's like a race to the bottom. It's like who can be the biggest bastard quickest with Euron. <laughs> well, you can tell Euron's complete, like sort of kind of crazy as well because he just tends to throw in things that are mad as if it's normal, which is the classic example of it. I mean, there's a bit towards the end of the chapter where he says, "Oh yeah, he's drinking this um, what is it? Uh, Shade of the evening." Which, if you remember when Daenerys was in Carth, it's what these warlocks drink to give them visions and stuff. And it turns yeah. the lips blue, and he's got into that. No, it turns turns out. But he says he got a cask of it from these four warlocks, and it's like, yeah, one of them threatened me, so um, I fed him to the other three. Um, and, you know, when they got hungry enough, they ate him. And he says it as if, like, in the same way you'd say, you know, um, he wanted me to pay a tenner for it, but I knocked him down into a fiver. And, you know, and Victorian's yeah. sitting there like, um, yeah, thinking that, Mm, that's pretty crazy. <laughs> it doesn't yeah, sound like you realise how but crazy. But smiling that is. and nodding, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, there's this big, big party on a, on the island, big feast uh, that they have in, um, and the only person who's really standing there's, there's this guy, uh, Horlow, uh, Lord Lord of Horlow, who, um, if you remember, was like Asher's sort of favourite uncle. And he is sort of wandering around basically saying, you know, the shit storm is coming. We may have, may have won this battle, but the rest of the Tyrell force is going to come down on us eventually. Um, yeah. It looks like Euron's basically rode into this castle, which was owned by, um, who was the guy? Oh, Lord Hewitt. And he's basically turned it all on its head insofar as the, uh, like, the ladies of the castle now have been um, told to serve sort of the food and be cut bearers and stuff. And in the end, he makes them all take the clothes off as well, just because he's such a bastard. Um, and the you're not kidding, yeah. And the uh, the lord, um, Lord Hewitt, is sort of tied up in a chair with a radish in his mouth, which just the touch of the radish is <laughs> it makes it sort of darkly comic, but bloody weird. That's true, which is clearly what he's going for, right? But <laughs> I, I'm still, yeah. I, I, I want to laugh at that from precisely this distance, no closer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting that during this feast, he says, you know, right, I'm, I want to, uh, we're all going to head off now to Slaver's Bay, get some dragons and come back. And the Ironborn are all like, um, ugh, you know what? I'd rather just sort of keep reaving along the coast here and, you know, not do this yeah. dangerous mission across the ocean to um to Slaver's Bay where none of us even know really exists. And yeah. Euron sort of it's I thought this was good because it shows how um it's still sort of weirdly bloodily democratic, the Ironborn. Like they all shout yeah. the king down and he just sort of yeah. runs off and just leaves them to yeah. it. Because you can't By say then. order, order, I'm the boss, you must do what I say on the Iron Islands, can you? Yeah. Or or if you do, they'll be like foreigner. <laughs> and find some reason to pull you limb from limb. Yeah, yeah. And what did you make? What do you make of the whole sort of direction of the Ironborn now? Because this is something that the series just it just they just disappear in the series. It seems. I've yeah, just not done anything. Them. Yeah, yeah. Where I'm interested, I am. I think it's really interesting seeing this riff, and they are kind of like bleakly intriguing, even if it is fairly depressing to be around them for any length of time. Mm. Um. 
But I, it does strike me as being important because they are this quite major force, and particularly because they're doing this traveling across the seas and oceans, you know, finding Valeria and so on. Mm. Um, you know, which is supposed to be this lost land like Numenor in um, in the Lord of the Rings or Atlanta. Atlantis. Atlanta exists. Atlantis. Exactly <laughs> like the way. Um, you know, like it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be like like that. So I feel like that's going to pull some important things into the plot. I hope. Mm. Um, but. Uh, but at the same time, I wouldn't put it past George. Just put them all on boats now and be like, uh, you know, they sail off across the world and at the the end of the seventh novel, they returned in the quickest possible time for the round trip they travelled on, looking a little bit frazzled and saying, don't ask. <laughs> yeah. And that's and I could just imagine him doing that. <laughs> yeah. Well, it looks like most of them aren't up for, for leaving at all anyway. Um, but we have this conversation between Victarion and Euron in Euron's room later on. Um, mm. And there are a couple of things to pick out of this. One is, do you remember the um, Euron sort of, one of his sort of underlings blew this dragon horn um, at the mm. king's moot to shut everybody up? And it was this massive mm. moment. And the guy sort of staggered back with smoke coming out of his mouth at the end of it. It turns out he died. Um, and they sort of cut him open and his lungs were just like black that just he basically burned up inside. So um, well, hmm. if that's true, I mean that makes sense because we did see that he like which we were doing this last time, weren't we? Where his like his lips were literally on fire, hmm. um, and like so this sounds plausible. And if it is plausible, it seems like Euron's not just forgive me blowing smoke with this horn business, and that it is actually something to do with dragons. Yeah. Um, so, you know, fairly serious. I'll tell you what I liked about this exchange as well, is where where um, Euron's like, I had a dragon egg once. And Victorian's like, oh yeah, <laughs> what happened to it? And Euron goes, throw it overboard, I was drunk, I was angry. <laughs> <laughs> this is the man you want going and getting dragons to control. <laughs> yeah, he does just, in the same way he has that sort of, the, the thing about the warlocks, he just says it as, like, as if it's the most natural thing in the world, isn't it? Yeah, I had this priceless dragon's egg, which uh, could have hatched a dragon, which I'm obsessed with getting hold of. I was chucked it in the sea. I was drunk. <laughs> I was leathered. <laughs> I'll level with you. I wasn't very happy. I had a few. I had a few more. <laughs> I was very, very drunk. <laughs> Can you imagine if Lord of the Rings had riffed off of that? You know, Frodo, where's the ring? Threw it in the sea. I got really angry. <laughs> You could just imagine him waking up in the morning going, oh, my head is killing me. Where's that egg? What? I can't I can't find that dragon's egg. And then still having a flashback to him sort of standing on the deck going, <laughs> be gone, dragon egg. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck, I did do that. Oh, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> oh, the regret. <laughs> 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 Couple of bottles of Uzo Destructo. With a regret. <laughs> yeah. So that yeah, that's what happened to the last. <laughs> there were there were. It turns out there were four priceless dragon's eggs that survived the Valyrian doom. Three of them made the way to Daenerys, and the other one ended up at the bottom of the sea after Euron and two bottles of Uzo Destructo came across the path. <laughs> <laughs> um, but 
to his credit, Euron, not a man to let that kind of thing get him down. He's got a plan to get the rest of the dragons, the other three, the ones that didn't end up at the bottom of the sea, um, by marrying Daenerys. And the way he's going to do it is he's going to send Victorian over there to bring her back so he can marry her. And Victorian, Victorian's like, okay, I'll do that, but actually, I'm going to marry her myself. Uh, I, I love the fact that b- both of these guys just assume that Daenerys is going to be well up for that. Yeah, yeah, it's it's almost it's the equivalent of the sort of like like ignorant knobhead whose whose chat technique has never had to go beyond "Hello, darling," <laughs> "Nice ass," and and just like walking up to like the queen or something like and trying that and just being like, "What do you mean it didn't work? What do you mean?" It always works. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. Did, did, has that left you looking forward to Victorian's journey over to Slaver's Bay, or are you thinking that's just another extra character that I'm not that bothered about? Um. I mean, George has put time into it, so I've put time into it, so I'm on board. Um. To be honest with you, I'm quite looking forward to him getting there and getting torn limb from limb by a dragon. <laughs> that's going to be quite entertaining every chance that's going to happen isn't it every chance okay so um that is as far as we're going for today if you're reading along with us then next week we're reading from the jamie chapter i just mentioned which is the next one as far as a chapter about sam page 645 by my reckoning which is well, it's quite a long, big chunk. This six or five chapter about Sam, which begins: the cinnamon wind was a swan ship. It certainly was. Find out more yeah. next week, uh, and oh, also obviously any thoughts on the book or the podcast, you can get them into us at uh, sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail dot com. That's sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail dot com, or send us them on Twitter at sharkliveroil. Um, oh, the other thing to mention is um, we've had a little bit of a mini spike in um, in listenership from what I can see from the statistics recently. So um, if you're one of these new listeners and you want to get more involved, either send us some comments or stick a little iTunes review on uh, our page because that, that helps us as well if you go to iTunes and that can bump us up the charts a bit. We're, we're nothing if not uh, not star whores. Definitely. Definitely. Ratings. Ratings whores is what we are. Yeah. Stick a five star rating. Don't stick a one star on. If you're gonna do that, forget it. Not interested in those. <laughs> I'm not certain you're allowed to exercise this level no, of control no, no. over people's opinion. We'll be silencing the naysayers. <laughs> um, Fuck. He's gone mad. We're doing this book for too long. Tell you next week we're doing Mary Poppins. All right, Mary Poppins. Right. Okay. Well, until next time, I'm off to go and establish a network of secret police to make sure you all leave the correct type of feedback. <laughs> he's gone He's gone full Cersei. Everybody, send help. Fuck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's good job my brother's quite far away. There would be for a surprise. <laughs> oh, oh, nobody needs that. He listens to this as well. Deary me. Right. See you next time, anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you survive.